Hello, everybody. Andrew Gamison here with the Speaking for Him podcast. I am super excited, as always, that you've chosen to take some time out of your busy day to spend it with me on the show. We're continuing our series today on the five solas of the Reformation, and I'm super excited to be able to do that with you. Today, we're talking about sola gratia, or grace alone. Again, these are the five principles, for those that are just tuning in, the five principles upon which the Reformers based their theology after they took an honest look at the Bible and broke away from the organized Catholic Church of the day. And I'm super excited uh, to have been able to share these with you. I, I encourage you to go back and wa- listen to past episodes and pass them on to your friends uh, because I think now more than ever we need a biblical literacy in our culture. And so my hope through this Back to Basics series, which as I said, is starting with the five solas and continuing on beyond that, is that we will have a good grasp of the truth so that we can rightly divide the word. Because there is an increasing number of people that claim to speak and preach for God that are missing the boat. And so I'm super excited that you have taken the time to listen, and I hope that it encourages you and builds you up in the faith. That is the overall goal of speaking for him as a ministry. And if you've been blessed, I would encourage you to drop me a line with the contact information that will roll at the end of the show, as well as possibly give me a review on Apple Podcasts to let me know how I'm doing and also boost my profile over there so that more people can access this content. We will get to our main portion in just a little bit, but first I want to talk to you about what is going on. Before I talk about the news stories that have stuck out to me this week and why they are important, I want to tell you a little bit about what the metamorphosis has been in the podcast and why I felt compelled to add this segment. The first thing that happened was in March of last year, I was forced to come home with the podcast because of the pandemic. And after recording for a few months um, on my own, I acquired some really nice audio equipment known as the Roadcaster Pro. I've talked about it before, but it allows me to do professional level podcasting here at home. And so that allowed me to tell Joy99, thank you for the years that you allowed me to use your studio, but I'm doing the show from home now. And it's been very much a blessing to be able to do the show right here. Um, And I've saved enough money on gas that this device has paid for itself over, I think, even twice possibly uh, in that time. So I'm very grateful for that. So that allows me to be more current. So that's the first reason. The second reason is I think that to be responsible Christians is to be responsible citizens. I know there are some people that would disagree with me on that, but really we are in a unique place here in the United States of America to have a voice in our culture on the issues of the day. And when people ask for our opinions or when they hear our opinions on important issues, which are not just political issues, by the way. Most political issues have a moral component, 
And so I think it's it's foolish of us to just dismiss them as political issues. But when we express our opinions on them, it gives us an opportunity to point people to Jesus and say, that is why I believe this so strongly. That's why you'll hear me talk about education on this show and how important it is for parents to educate because the Bible says train up your children in the way they should go. That's why you'll hear me talk about abortion and how God says that I knit you together in your mother's womb. I'm the one that placed life in your lungs. And so I'm the only one who can decide whether you live or die. That's why I talk about these issues because they tie back to my Christian worldview. And I I truly believe that they should tie back to yours as well. And the other aspect is just, there's a naivete. You know, I, I started this podcast by talking about our biblical illiteracy and saying that we need to get back to basics and understand what the Bible actually says. Because the power that the organized Catholic Church had over the Reformers back in the 1500s was that they, that the common people did not know what the Bible said. And, and among others, William Tyndale said that his goal in translating the Bible into English was that the plowboy would know as much or more about the Holy Scriptures than would the priest. And so I really think it is a wonderful time to be alive, and we have the opportunity to have the written Word of God in our hands, to study it daily, and to uh, rightly divide the Word of Truth. And I think just as we uh, rightly divide the Bible, we also need to have the right response to the things that are going around on around us in the culture, because... As I kind of alluded to earlier, it could be easy to put our heads in the sand and say, that doesn't matter because I'm just living a pilgrim's life. I'm not going to be here any longer than I have to. But the reality is that we need to realize that most political issues are moral issues and we can have a say on them. And it's important for us to understand the moral issues of the day. So with that being said, I'm going to delve into some important and I think exciting stories to come out of the world of news. The first one comes out of Sacramento, California, where well-known conservative talk show host Larry Elder made an important announcement. A conservative radio talk show host is joining the growing list of candidates now who want to oust Governor Gavin Newsom from office. Larry Elder, who calls himself the sage from South Central L.A., says he is entering the recall race because of what he says is California's out-of-control homelessness crisis, spiking crime rates, and looming water and power supply shortages. The L.A. native was at the registrar's office in Norwalk today to file his candidacy papers. Gavin Newsom should be nervous. I'm going to take his job. He's got to go down. Crime, homelessness, the outrageous cost of living, gas tax, the way he shut down the government while ignoring the very mandates that he put down at that French laundry with the lobbyists that drafted the mandate. Elder joins other Republican candidates such as John Cox, Kevin Falconer, Riverside County Supervisor Jeff Hewitt, Doug Osei, and reality TV star Caitlyn Jenner. The recall election is scheduled for September 14th. And I am excited about this for a couple reasons. Number one, 
Larry Elder really came to my attention this past summer during the race riots and black like and the peak of the Black Lives Matter uh, public movement that was going on last summer after the death of George Floyd. And it's because he has a common sense approach to the issue of systemic racism and critical race theory. Now, he would be the first to tell you that he acknowledges that racism exists. But w- but what he says is America is still the greatest country that has existed and systemic racism in the way that the left portrays it does not exist. And I think this is an important thing to address because does racism and discrimination exist? Yes, it does. As a matter of fact, I have been discriminated against, and I'm sure there are other people that have had incidents of racism against them. I can't climb into your skin and understand what that is like. But the fact remains that America as a country is still the best country to live in. Case in point, I was watching a show called The Hustler the other day, well, a couple weeks ago, And there was a gentleman on there who ended up being the hustler. For those that don't understand the premise of the hustler, you have, uh, you start out with five people, one of them being the hustler, and they know all the answers to the trivia questions that are being asked, ten in all, because they're based on that person's life. If the hustler can get through the whole game without being identified, they take home all the cash. Or if somebody identifies the hustler, what is now down to three in the finals, two will split the money and the hustler goes away with nothing. But the hustler on one of these episodes was a black man who was an American, who was a first-generation American, I believe from Nigeria, whose parents brought him over here for a better life. And he took full advantage of the opportunities given him in America. He was a straight-A student, and as a matter of fact, he was offered scholarships to are offered enrollment and probably various scholarships to any of the Ivy League schools that he would desire. All of them. Every single one. And because I had followed his story, I knew it was him from the very beginning of the show. But all that to say is he did not allow his race to determine the outcome of his life. And Larry Elder while he acknowledges racism and while he acknowledges that we have a failure in our past as Americans, we treated black Americans awful, we treated Indians awful, we understand that. But Larry Elder realizes that race does not have to be a determination of your success. And I am super excited that Larry has decided to run for governor. Now, it's a special election. The first part of the ballot deals with the possible recall of Gavin Newsom, the governor of California. And he is being possibly recalled largely for his, uh, the way he dealt with COVID-19. So the first question on the ballot is whether you want to recall Gavin Newsom and take him out of the governorship. And then an immediate second question is, if you answered yes to the first question, who do you want to be your governor? Now, at last count, I read that there were 47 possible candidates 
for governor in California. But from what I can understand, it's a straight vote. It's not a primary. Whoever gets the highest percentage of vote will win. And because there's so many candidates, it could be a very little percentage. So I'm hoping that that Larry Elder has a really good showing, if not wins. Because I think he will be good in that position. And I think he has a unique opportunity to win, even though he's there late, because he's a well-spoken conservative radio host who has a following there in California. It is also exciting for me to note that Larry Elder told the LA Times, quote, abortion is murder. Whenever someone is pro-life, I often feel like I will agree with them on many other important issues. The next story that I want to cover is a story that I ran across this past week regarding a congressman, or I should say a potential congressman, a former U.S. or, or, or a U.S. Army captain, I believe, who has, who was censored on Twitter, not for saying something controversial about COVID, not for saying something controversial about the election, but for simply posting freedom isn't free with a picture of him saluting the American flag on July 4th. Let's welcome to the show retired Army Captain. He is Sam Brown. Great to see you, Captain. Okay, people are really outraged about what happened to you. Can you explain why did Twitter put a warning label on your 4th of July tweet? It's a photo of you offering a salute in uniform. Can you break down what happened? Yeah, Elizabeth, I really appreciate you giving me time to uh, just spend with you and your audience and talk about this important issue. You know, as uh, as you know, I am a veteran who served in Afghanistan. I, I probably served this country and I was wounded and happened to have uh, been rather scarred by the uh, the wounds. And so I thought it was uh, rather appropriate on the 4th of July for us to just reflect back on the fact that freedom isn't free. And so I, I have a photo of me after I was wounded in uniform saluting the flag. Um, I posted that uh, and just simply stated that America is still the best nation in this world. That's something I believe in my core. And what happened next was really uh, fascinating. First of all, the tweet went viral. For approximately three days, uh, there was over two and a half million views on that tweet. And then what happened after that was rather shocking. I don't really understand Twitter's uh, motivation, but um, they decided to put a, a sensitivity uh, uh, cover on that photo of me saluting the flag. And it could be that they thought that my scars were somewhat offensive and needed to be sh- sheltered from people. It could also be that uh, they found the uh, fact that a soldier is saluting the flag to be offensive. Or worse yet, this censorship came literally hours after I filed to be the Republican candidate in the U.S. Senate race here in Nevada. So the worst case scenario is they're censoring conservatives. All right, as always, I have a couple things to say about this. First of all, Army Captain Sam Brown is someone that fought for our country. He's a man of valor who cares about the United States of America, and I'm super proud that he is running for Congress in Nevada. But 
let let's just think about this for a second. First of all, his tweet was censored, and it was there was a warning given to it. Now, as I said, it's a very simple tweet. It simply talks about our country being established on July fourth, seventeen seventy six, and that freedom isn't free, with a picture of Sam saluting the flag. Now, as he delineated in the clip. There are a variety of reasons why they may have censored him, why it was not acceptable to them for him to tweet what he tweeted. But there was no complication in the message of the tweet. It was a very simple tweet. It was a very true tweet. It wasn't opinion so much. I mean, it was opinion, but it, but it's, it's a pretty common knowledge opinion that freedom isn't free, and among patriots, July 4th is and always will be an important day in our history. It's when we declared independence. And I've talked about this before, so I'm not going to beat it to death. But he brought up the fact that Twitter is censoring conservatives, and that might be one reason why he has been censored and why he he is dealing with a warning on this tweet. Now, a little while back, I would have told you, even a year or a little bit more ago, probably a year and a half ago, if I'm being honest, because it's been a pretty solid year of, of censorship. But about a year and a half ago, I would have said that you are exaggerating, that that can't possibly be true. But over the past year, year and a half, I have sat and watched Facebook fact-check opinion. Okay, think about that for a second. The, the, the first thing I want to get across on this story is that you cannot, under any circumstances, fact check an opinion. An opinion is exactly what it sounds like. It is someone's perspective on a topic. If I said that the sky is red knowing full well that the sky is blue, you can fact check that and you can get back to me and you say, you can say the sky is not red. It is in fact blue. It's a fact of life. I can look out the window and see that that's true. I can quantitatively say that. But if I make the statement that hamburgers are the best, you can't fact check that and say that's false. You can disagree you can give your own opinion, but you can't fact check it because it's not something that is a quantifiable fact. We all have different opinions about what is the best. It could be hamburger. It could be hot dog. It could be bratwurst. And so for the last year and a half, I have watched Facebook and other social medias fact check people based on their opinions. And that is just not acceptable. And I know the argument has been made that Twitter is a is a privately owned company or even a publicly owned company, but they're not a news platform, and so they have every right to censor who they want to censor. At the end of the day, that is true. However, if you really want to be respected as fact-checkers, then don't censor opinions. And then he talks about running for Congress and making the decision to declare for that and having this censorship happen 
on the same day. And based on some of the things that have happened, including pulling a sitting president off of Twitter, I think his conclusion may not be far off. I've seen similar posts with warnings on them. I'll never forget when this really hit home for me. I think it was last year around Memorial Day or the 4th of July when there was a a post that showed this is why we celebrate Memorial Day. Because a lot of times people think of it as just a weekend off. And the post showed a, a, a wife grieving at a grave and a soldier grieving at a draped coffin and I think a couple other soldiers saluting the flag. And that was given a warning that it might be offensive. It wasn't graphic. It wasn't gory. We go to the movies to watch things deliberately that are a hundred times more gory than that is. And yet it was censored and given a warning. And that's, I think, the first time when it really sunk into me that that they are just censoring things willy-nilly based on their personal feelings about an issue. The final thing that I want to talk to you about is also this past week in the news, House Democrats decided to walk away from the chambers, and not only that, but leave... Texas, these are House Democrats in Texas, they left the state to avoid voting on a voters' rights bill because they believe, or they say they believe, that they are standing up for voter oppression. Governor Greg Abbott is threatening to block lawmakers' pay after Democrats blocked one of the most restrictive voting bills in the country by abandoning the House chamber late Sunday night. Rachel Scott has the latest. Good morning, Rachel. George, good morning. Texas Governor Greg Abbott only digging in this morning after this unexpected last stand by Democrats. They were outnumbered, so they decided to use the one tool that they had left. They decided to walk out of the chamber. They left it so empty, there were not enough members to even have a vote. The bill that they were protesting would significantly restrict voter access. It would ban drive-through voting, restrict mail-in ballots, adding a new voter ID requirement, and pushes back early voting hours on Sunday, a time when we know black residents head to the polls after leaving church. Republicans say this is all about restoring voter confidence after the 2020 election, but Democrats are very quick to point out there was no evidence of widespread voter fraud during the November election. Still, you have the governor there. He is digging in. He says he will be calling a special session. That could be announced as early as today. He's even threatening to withhold the pay of the Democrats who walked out. He says they abandoned their responsibility, George. But Rachel, Texas is one of just many states that is actually targeting voting. Yeah, George, 14 states have now passed these bills further restricting voting access. President Joe Biden has called this un-American. He's calling on Congress to act. But any voting rights legislation faces a very significant uphill challenge here in the Senate. They need at least 10 Republicans on board, George. Yeah, they don't have the 60 votes. Rachel, thanks very much. First of all, I want to say very clearly that back when Barack Obama nominated Merrick Garland for the Supreme Court. I 
said this, that I felt like it was important for us as a country to vote on him as a nominee. The thing is, the Republican Party had the power to not vote on him as a nominee. And I do believe that the Democrats would have exercised the same power had they been in control. But I think we had the votes, especially then, to vote on this issue. I don't like the idea of dealing with these issues of passing legislation or not passing legislation by not voting. Our legislators were sent to their respective states and to Washington, D.C. to speak on behalf of their constituents by casting votes. So when we don't vote, we are just delaying a problem. I know that the reason they left was because they don't feel like they have the votes. But I think that it is ridiculous to leave to try to avoid voting on this issue. That's the first part. The second part is that they are calling this a voter suppression bill. And I'm not exactly sure what the current laws are in Texas. I know that different states have different forms of early voting or mail-in voting. And I think that if you have those in place, they're not necessarily horrible things. But I also know that a lot of what we did in the 2020 election, the reason that we did so much mail-in voting, the reason that we had early voting in multiple places to vote and all these different provisions in place was largely because of the COVID crisis. We didn't have a legal precedent to do these things, and we certainly didn't have an organized way of initiating these things. Like I know as a Michigan resident, I was extremely confused by mail-in voting. There was never an official press conference that said, we're allowing Michigan to have mail-in voting because of COVID, and this is how it's going to work. Instead, we just got ballots in the mail, many of us, with the option to send them back with our vote. Very unorganized system. And again, couched because of a emergency for the country because of COVID. And so now all these voter rights bills are trying to do is to codify that that was emergency that was done because of emergency powers, that it was ill-advised and that we want to change. We want to codify that, that it is not acceptable. That's all of that's all these bills do. I've I've talked about this before so I won't belabor the point but when you when you make the point that a person group is not capable of getting something simple like an ID, you are demeaning them. You are putting them down, you are saying that they are not intelligent. That is an inappropriate way to act. You can disagree 
with these bills. But you have a much more fruitful discussion when you couch it the way it is. Many of the things that they're trying to outlaw, so to speak, were never made laws in the first place. And they're just trying to clarify things. A lot of our laws today come up because the self-evident truths that the founding fathers talked about are no longer self-evident. So I think that's worth noting as we move forward on this important issue. Well, as I said, we are continuing our study on the five solas today, and I'm excited to talk to you about faith by grace alone or sola gratia. So we're going to start out today with our quote of the day. Our quote of the day comes from Phillips Brooks. Grace does not depend on what we have done for God, but rather on what God has done for us. Ask people what they must do to get to heaven, and most reply, be good. Jesus' stories contradict that answer. All we must do is cry help. And again, that's by Phillips Brooks. And I I like the simplicity of that quote. If you look at the stories of Jesus healing people in the Gospels, and I've said this before when I've preached on passages where Jesus is healing, it's great when physical healing occurs. Uh, Miracles are awesome. It's, It's amazing when God decides to heal. I believe that God is still a healer today. But if you look at the miracles in the Bible, you see an interesting insight. That as great as the physical healing is, that it is usually for the purpose of showing people a greater spiritual lesson. So, for instance, the man that was uh, lame and he was put through the roof of the house by his friends because he needed to be healed. Jesus said, your sins are forgiven you. That was the most important thing that happened that day. This man's sins were forgiven because of his faith and because of his friend's faith. And then when he heard the Pharisees thinking, I love this story because he reads the Pharisees' thoughts, and but he hears them thinking, and he says, so that you will realize that the Son of Man, meaning himself, has power on earth to forgive sin, I say to the man who is sick of the palsy, rise up and walk. And the man rose up immediately, took up his bed, and went home. And it's interesting that the Pharisees were more incensed that he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath than that he was healed. And that actually might have been a different story of a layman that might have been the Pool of Bethesda. But it is a common thread that the Pharisees were more interested in the external than what had actually happened. I remember the story of the man with the withered hand. 
Jesus heals the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath day, and he says, the Pharisees say, you should do no work on the Sabbath. And Jesus says, if your beast falls into a hole or your friend's beast, you help the beast out, regardless of whether it is the Sabbath. So the point of the miracle is to point people to God and to show them their need for salvation. And in each of the miracles that we see in the Bible, the only thing that the people can do for themselves is to say, help me. That's the only thing. And we all need to realize that. We are not good enough in ourselves to do anything worth mention as it comes to our salvation. The only goodness we have is after we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit, we have the power to do the right thing. And that comes from the grace that God has bestowed Upon us. So let's look at different aspects of grace here. Uh, the first thing is that grace comes from Jesus Christ. And John gives us a contrast in John chapter 1, verse 17. He says, For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. You know, last week we talked about um, faith alone and the aspect that we cannot do anything um, to earn our salvation. All we can do is have faith in God. And if we're really honest with ourselves, even the faith that we have to believe comes from God because the Bible says no man seeks after God. So we had a situation where in the Old Testament, Moses comes and gives us the law, and Paul says that it is by law that he knew about sin. And so we are, we are made aware of our sin because of the law, because we cannot fulfill the law in and of ourselves. But Jesus comes and gives grace. Again, to just quickly repeat, for the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. So that's the difference that Jesus made when he came on the scene. Now, it's significant to know that truth didn't go out the window when grace came. Grace and truth are balancing parts of the same scale. They're both important. You cannot have grace without truth. Jesus forgives our sins, but then he says, go and sin no more. The next point is grace teaches us how to live. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. Titus 2.11 and 12. So, we have been given access to the grace of God, which has been defined as the desire and the power to do the things that we ought to do. As I said before, we do not have the power in, our, in and of ourselves to do the right thing unless we are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. But because of the Holy Spirit, Paul can write to Titus and his church at Crete that we need to live in a certain way and God gives us the power to do it. And he showed us by example Jesus Christ so that we can follow in his steps. 
So how do we live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? Through the grace of God, which bringeth us salvation. It's the only way. Grace maintains us. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And that is Romans 5, 1 and 2. I want to point you to a very specific part of this verse. By whom we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. We don't have to run after grace. We don't have to strive for grace. Is there an aspect where we strive for righteousness? Yes. Out of a desire to please God and out of a desire to thank Him for all that He's done for us, we do strive to a degree. But I think the reason that Paul writes this is because he knows that the greatest amount of our success will be when we stand in the grace of God and let Him work through us. The Bible says, For it is God who worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He does the work, we get the benefit. It doesn't make sense to our finite minds, but it is true. Continuing on, grace sustains us. As I said, grace maintains us, and we learn our Yes, grace maintains us in that we are justified by faith, and we have peace with God, and we know how to stand, as we mentioned before. And then grace sustains us because sometimes life gets rough. Sometimes things don't go the way that we want them to. And so we need the sustaining grace of our Lord and Savior. And for that we have Second Corinthians twelve seven to 10 and lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations that were there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. For this one thing I besought the Lord that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. 2 Corinthians 12, 7-10 And we could do probably a whole podcast series just on aspects of this verse. But I bring it to your attention because I want you to notice a couple key things. First of all, Paul was given a lot of revelation for us. Jesus took him into the desert for three years and taught him in Arabia. And that, I'm sure, became the bulk of the epistles that Paul would later write and give us clear and concise teaching that would help the church to grow and to become the godly saints that our Father in Heaven wants us to be. And so God said, in order to keep you humble, I'm going to give you a thorn in the flesh. Now the Bible doesn't tell us what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. We just know that it was a daily reminder for Paul 
to rely on God. And when Paul asked for God to take it away, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, I'm not going to take it away. He said, no. But my grace is sufficient for you. And then Paul says, because of his sufficient grace, I can glory in my infirmities. One of the modern teachings that pervades um, some aspects of modern Christianity today is this idea that God doesn't want us to suffer. That we are suffering because we're not walking in accordance with God's will. And that truly is and can be an aspect of suffering. But largely, the reason we may suffer is because God is doing something in our lives. I have said on numerous occasions that my wheelchair keeps me closer to God. I believe God can heal me, but I believe that my ministry is more effective for having been in this wheelchair. So I'm thankful for my thorn in the flesh, which is my wheelchair, because it helps me to rest upon him. And it helps me to be strong in weakness because it's Christ working in me. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, I've come to call not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I used to think, well, that's kind of an obvious statement because if you're righteous, you don't need to repent. But as I got older, I began to realize that Jesus wasn't talking about the people that are actually righteous. He was talking about the people that think they're righteous. Because as long as you think you're righteous, he can't help you. That's a sobering thought, but it's nonetheless true. As we continue on, the next aspect is grace saves us. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God hath before ordained, that we should walk in them. And again, there's a lot here, probably enough for a single podcast episode, if not more, just in these this passage. But the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And then it goes on to say, and that not of yourselves. So the grace and the faith do not even have their source in us. Remember I talked about earlier in the podcast about how no one seeks after God. No one is righteous. So the only way we even seek after God is through His intervention and through the fact that He cares for us and gives to us what we need. And so He says, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's no boasting in the kingdom of God. Yes, there are rewards for doing God's work, but we're all level at the foot of the cross. God's not going to sit here and say, look at what this guy did. I'm sorry you only did half of that. 
No. Because our salvation isn't based on works. Our salvation is based on the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which he gave for all men equally. Another aspect of this verse is, once we have been saved, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. And when we were talking about faith alone, we referenced this verse, but it's worth referencing again. Because it's only through God's grace that we're able to do good works that matter. Isaiah tells us that our good works are as filthy rays. Without God, our our good works mean nothing. But through God, we are able to express our thanks for what he did for us by good works. And if you live a grace-filled life, you can live an abundant life. Jesus said he wanted us to have life and life more abundant. How is that possible if you're always focused on works? Because let me tell you, if the focus is on what works can I do next to satisfy God, you will never satisfy God. You will never feel satisfied yourself because you can never do enough. Not only that, but you actually say that the cross is not good enough. Galatians 2.21 says, I do not frustrate the law of God. Because if I rely on the law to save me, and then Christ is dead in vain. That's what Paul said in Galatians 2.21. And Jesus died for a very specific purpose, and that was to redeem us from the power of the law. Because we were never going to win that battle. To reference Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim was told by worldly wise men to walk up the hill, which ended up being the hill of the law of God, and he ended up being, you know, feeling the heat of the fire of the wrath of God. Why? Because apart from Christ and his sacrifice, the law of God could not be fulfilled. Galatians also says that in the fullness of time, Christ came to redeem those who are under the law. It's only grace. I'm not worthy of his salvation. You're not worthy of his salvation. But the one who is worthy, Jesus Christ, died for us. And he says unto us today, Whosoever will may come. And also, whoever comes to me, I will in no wise cast out. I hope that you've been blessed by this episode today. I hope that you will share it with your family and friends. That's how the word gets out about this podcast. As I said, you can contact me with the contact information that we'll roll at the end of the show. Have a great week, and as always, keep serving the best of masters.
Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.